get it. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. You're listening to Pod Me If You Can. This is Pod Me If You Can. Movie reviews by David and Lloyd. An Australian podcast on your favorite movies. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Welcome to Pod Me If You Can. I'm David Farrell. And I'm Lloyd Hughes. It's 3am and uh, we've just watched the midnight screening of Star Wars Rogue One, a Star Wars story I should say. Uh, just a heads up, we're going to discuss the film with spoilers in mind. And I'm surprised how awake I am, but uh, onward we press. <laughs> Lloyd, uh, last time we spoke uh, at the end of, I think, Sausage Party, uh, we speculated a little bit about Rogue One. And I said to you, you know, what do you want from the film? And, uh, you know, I got I said, what I wanted. Yeah? I got exactly what I wanted, uh, surprisingly. I, I, my biggest complaint with Disney films recently has been that nobody has died. And I suspected that these characters would be so popular that they're going to have spin-off movies with them, and I was completely wrong. Yeah, well, I said they can take some real risks and they can afford to kill everyone off because we know they're not in the original trilogy. So everyone's expendable. This is literally the expendables. And what do we get? Almost every single person dies. Every one of the Rogue One crew dies. Certainly there's no survivor out of that group. And as each character we meet, they get killed off. Forrest Whitaker plays, uh, what is it, Saw Guerrero, and as we meet him, his planet is destroyed by the Death Star, or his city is, uh, and he dies. And when obviously we get to Mads Mikkelsen's character, he gets killed as well. Uh, She loses two father figures in the space of 10 minutes of screen time. Then the final sort of 15 minutes of the film is each Rogue One cast member, each, you know, rebel, getting their own kind of moment and death. I kind of looked at it like a sense of destiny. Uh, The blind guy, played by Donnie Yen, I think, uh, he sort of has that mantra about the Force. You know, you get that kind of vibe that as soon as they've done the thing they need to do, they are expendable, that they die. He turns on that master switch, which is actually the thing I disliked most in the film. Uh, And as he does that, sort of, he's no longer required. Each character kind of, I guess, got that... um, You know, that moment, that hero moment, you know, transmitting the Death Star plans. Including the robot. Including the robot, who, I don't know, has no sense of, you know, no soul, no, uh, you know, can be reprogrammed. So no need to be attached to, right? Um, (laughs) Were you cool with all the human deaths? Or, like, were there any moments that you thought, well, that was more powerful than another? Uh, Well... It's a, I want to take back everything I said about Gareth Edwards. I said from Monsters, which I saw the moment it came out on DVD, a lot of people I trust uh, talk that movie up a lot, and I saw it and I said, this guy's going to be one of the most talented filmmakers of our time. I'm taking that back right now. Uh, Godzilla was okay. I said, no, no, he's, he's still learning the ropes, you know. I'm sure he'll get his grip together. Like, Godzilla was okay, but I'm expecting a lot more from the guy who made Monsters. And then uh, Rogue One was it. He's a huge Star Wars fan. He comes out with um, uh, with, with this Dirty Dozen-esque movie, room to play here because he's not constrained to what has to follow in the canon. So he's he's got room to play here. And uh, I, I've walked... I, I think I absolutely hate Rogue One, I think. I've just walked out of the movie. Um, maybe I'm got, I've got too much expectations on Gareth Edwards. I wanted this to be great. 
uh, and it, it wasn't at all. The characters were rushed through. There was no characterization at all. I didn't care for any of them. The choreography that is my biggest complaint, which we'll get to. It's it's like a 13-year-old kid choreographed this movie. It looks fantastic. Gareth Edwards, the biggest thing he's got, his visuals are, are incredible and his decision to use as much practical effects like what J.J. Abrams employed in Star Wars Episode Seven, has paid off because Rogue One looks absolutely fantastic. It's such a pity it was directed by a, a very, very poor craftsman. And the biggest example of that, like we saw in the trailer, I Rebel, which is probably one of the worst lines, worst readings I've ever seen in a trailer. People were cheering, they told me, um, when they saw that. And I was just are you kidding? That's like, that's, that's, that's one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. It's so corny and cringeworthy. Um, we, I don't think, I don't recall ever seeing it in the whole movie where she goes, I rebel. I, I think they took it out, uh, probably due to the negative response from uh, f- certain critics. But the biggest scene that shows how poor Gareth Edwards is as a director, I think, is when they're all talking about whether they should um, engage the empire or not should they engage in battle and a lot of them decide not to if you look at the cutting um the the choice of coverage he has the the actors i think all of them are good they're di- they're directed very poorly um the musical cues when they come in for an emotional line is just shocking absolutely he's relying so much on the musical cue to give it so much more emotional impact and then it comes to a crashing halt when the captain gives his speech about oh i've been doing this since six years old i've done horrible things for the rebellion it is so badly done Uh, i I had no investment in anyone i couldn't believe what i was seeing it was like directed it was so amateurish Uh, i feel i feel bad because i feel like a lot of people got a comment really aggressive a lot of Star Wars fans on our, our Facebook or whatever, but I'm sorry, I I was so frustrated in this movie. See, I get to play the other side of this now, where uh, I was in it for the nostalgia, and I feel like it touched on so many moments and lines. Even you had uh, Saul Guerrero say it's a trap, you know, and my audience didn't react at all, but I felt like there should have been a reaction. My friend uh, doesn't like you. I don't like you either. Did yeah. you notice those two? Yeah, yeah, they got a nice moment. That was nostalgic as well. We got a, you know, Admiral Akbar looking guy who wasn't Admiral Akbar, but, uh, you know, same species. Uh, Radish, I think was his name or Radis. You know, Jimmy Smith's popped up just in the corner there when after they're having their whole speech, you know, Bail Organa sort of just casually steps into frame. And He's you're from like, episode one, two and three. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, he, you know, will later be destroyed on Alderaan when the Death Star, uh, you know, used to its full capacity to destroy the planet uh that's leia's father and you know each kind of moment where something happened c-3po and r2d2 popping up i was like yeah you know constantly reminded however i feel like i've just come out of it i'm probably not looking at this the same way as yourself when the force awakens was on and we discussed that at length i really felt like that had a lot of nostalgia but wasn't as great as it could have been Uh, This, I feel like, was exactly what it should have been. And as I said last time when we were speculating about what would happen in Rogue One, they basically killed everybody off and they didn't play it safe. Look, let's talk about Kevin Smith. 
Uh, I saw the same thing you did, which was that he he's loving this film. This he's is wa- the last time I ever listened to him on movies. He actually <laughs> said Rogue One is compa- um, is on the same level as Empire Strikes Back, something to that effect. And, uh, and I'm not there on that either. No, my, are you claim. kidding me? Like, <laughs> I understand getting hyped up. You've just watched a movie and he's a celebrity. He's got a lot of friends who are probably in this f- film or working on it. You know, so he's talking about, oh, great work, guys. Yeah, it's amazing. Oh, come on. That's, oh, geez, you really want to say that? Put it on the same level as Empire Strikes Back? I think in a few years you'll be, oh, you know, I was, uh, I was, I was going with the momentum of the crowd, you know, but, oh, geez, Louise, I'm, I'm just not going to re- trust him ever again. Uh, when it comes to movies. <laughs> well, we'll get to Vader and uh, how much Vader is in this film later, but don't you think that one of the major problems of the original film is that everybody complained about the fact that there was a weakness in the Death Star? Yeah. Everybody, everybody said, oh, why would you build the Death Star? And it has that one weakness. Oh, if you fire those two shots in there, the whole thing explodes. Um, ridiculous. Everybody questioned it. Doesn't this now justify that? Yeah, no, absolutely. And that repairs like... You know, if you think about it, holes in the original trilogy. You know, the character of Galen Erso was being forced to be the architect of the Death Star. And I did wonder about his qualifications, and I didn't really get much on his backstory, just that A he's very required. strong actor they cast for that as well. Like, there's a lot of guilt and remorse in, in his performance as well. I, th- I think he was probably the most um, thought-about character in this film. I mean, they don't cast Star Wars for the actors usually, but even Felicity Jones, she'd come off of the theory of everything and both her and Eddie Redmayne have stepped into bigger roles and bigger franchises and they're now, you know, A-list are really, you know, from nowhere. It's the same as Gareth Edwards. He had that, this is his third film. It's $200 million for Disney. You know, it's a huge, you know, December movie. He really got some training in Godzilla because those at-ats, you know, <laughs> that whole sequence, that was reminiscent of some of his work on Godzilla. And how fantastic did it look? I mean, I felt like when that one gets shot in the head by that uh, missile launcher and then turns its head back around, it had life, you know. Um, it had personality beyond yeah, he, the fact what, it was What a he droid. was able to... Um do in monsters with that budget constraint is remarkable like monsters is a terrific looking film uh the the i think in my opinion the cgi has dated really well and he blends uh cgi with uh like he he always keeps a good story going at ground level there's still characters to hold on to um i i just feel rogue one is so overcrowded that no we, we didn't get one backstory other than um the main characters are father. I, I don't know any of the characters at all. Like the captain has one spill. He's been doing it since six. And then they try to eke out a relationship between the two at the end. It's just, I'm, I'm just thankful they didn't kiss. Did, did they kiss? I can't remember. <laughs> they didn't kiss. No. I mean, it really felt as if they were just kind of soldiers together and hugging at the end was okay. Yeah. I, yeah. I'm as well. I'm glad they didn't kiss. Oh, so glad. The whole final shot of them holding each other with the light pouring over them, though. That was pretty full on. The whole build-up in, in that fight sequence was pretty good. Uh, if if they if he had the characters and that weight where he f- felt the loss for each one, it would have been so much greater. Uh, you would have felt the loss of each... In, in the Dirty Dozen, 
a far superior film, by the way, if you guys get a chance to watch it, you feel the loss for each of them as, as each of them um, uh, goes down in, in the mission. You're like, oh, that guy really liked that, char- that, that character because the film allowed time for you to grow attached to them. There's some you hate, there's some you love, and there's some you like, but you feel something as each character goes down uh, in the climactic moment of Dirty Dozen. Here... We didn't get enough moment with each of the characters at all, I feel, and especially the pilot, which should have had the he should have had the best backstory. What's the deal with the squid trying to eke out if he's uh, for Forrest Whitaker's character that he's actually telling the truth? I mean, the guy has a disc with you know the the and Forrest Whitaker knows who the guy is on the hologram, saying that there is a flaw in the design of the Death Star. Why send a squid to make sure he's telling the truth? And then he gets mind. I think he's brain damaged slightly for the rest of the film. I don't know that that was so muddled there. But he that character should have been one of the uh, you know a, a really good backstory uh, developed for him. But when he dies at the end with the grenade going into the ship, I didn't feel anything at all. I can see where you're coming from. I think Poe in uh, Force Awakens and uh, Finn, sorry, uh, Finn basically has that kind of traumatic backstory that is missing here. And uh, I have no idea what that squid was. I honestly... They that should, was the, they should one of the strangest of things of in the film. Yeah, like a lot of the interesting characters were introduced with Forrest Whitaker's group. And they all just die in the end anyway. And you have, I love the saying, you have the rescue the cat moments where um, the the main character, uh, Felicity Jones, Jin, rescues that girl from mm-hmm. the stormtroopers. Yep. And, uh, but it's all in vain anyway. Pretty much that whole city dies from that blast from the Death Star. Yeah, I think she should have been a little more selfish. And maybe then when she wasn't selfish at the end, that would have paid off a bit more. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, uh, that- she was now a team player. A, a terrible, that whole sequence in the city was so badly choreographed. I'm going to get into this right now. What makes it interesting for the characters is if they struggle or some effort goes into their, um, if they're engaging in battle, there's got to be some effort to it. There is too much power given to Donnie Yen and his um, other character, the guy with the gun, and also to Jin Erso. They're, they're too powerful. They take out stormtroopers left and right. It was on par with how badly the action was choreographed in episodes one, two, and three, where the droids were just getting cut up left, right, and center. In episode seven, it really felt like all the stormtroopers were a threat, how they were taking position and they were shooting at um, uh, or, or all the um, good guys, they, they just felt real and they, they just had actual choreography to them. In this one, the blind guy just beats them all. And I, I don't recall anyone cheering in my cinema at all when Donnie Yen starts beating them up, but I can imagine some cinemas going, yeah, to me it was so childish. It was so overpowered. Um, And he actually, Dave, he actually shoots down a TIE fighter with his handgun. Why not just send him out against the whole empire and him take out um, <laughs> legion after legion. It was so ridiculous. I can't believe somebody sitting in the editing room going, are, are you guys serious? Like, this is so ridiculous. There's no threat here. And if there's no threat, there's no drama. If there's no drama, I do not give two shits about any of these characters. And I'm so, I'm just so shocked to 
at the death they give him, he just walks out, you know, against what was probably the best troops in this world of Star Wars, aside from Darth Vader, which were those black troops that escorted Ben Mendelsohn. Um, uh, they seem to speak in a different language, but th- those guys um, uh, were the only ones that seemed like a, an actual threat to uh, it was, the choreography man was all over the place yeah well the um the fight scenes and stuff i mean you really have to suspend belief i mean he's blind as he says when they put a bag over his head are you kidding me i'm blind what about the gun his friend has he guns down legion after legion why not arm everyone with that gun yeah it's a good one i mean the two of them were supposed to be monks guarding the crystals that were you know used originally for lightsabers which were being mined for the death star so their backstory is very limited, but as we see them in the street, they're just kind of hanging out. I didn't feel like their relationship was all that. Um, that wasn't developed very well. There At wasn't all, some yeah. kind of, he saved my life once, I owe him a life debt, or uh, you know something of that nature. Uh, that probably would have helped. But that whole sequence where they're fighting around the tank and you know she saves the cat, if you will, all I wrote down in my notes there was, Jin can fight, blind man can fight... <laughs> And uh, stormtroopers can't shoot still. (laughs) Because, I mean, it was borderline ridiculous, the amount of kind of shots and stuff they got off. And the fact that the blind guy could live. I mean, you have to put it down to the force. That's the only, the magical mystic, you know, uh, you're going to hate it. But uh, that's the magic of Star Wars, isn't it? In episode seven, Poe is um, the best pilot, right? Once he gets into an airplane, uh, into a fighter pilot next wing, he can gun down like heaps of people. But see how much he suffers and struggles? Like he gets tortured, he gets beat up, and it just makes the Empire more of a threat. And you care for Poe a little bit more than any of the characters presented uh, in Rogue One. Um, and it, oh geez it really pissed me off the um uh i like the robot he was my favorite character but just how effortlessly he just picks up a grenade and throws it and he's just like oh my gosh why don't you just program 20 of these guys to protect you you know why doesn't each one just walk around with one of those bodyguards like the terminator yeah know? I mean, that would have been helpful <laughs> i'm guessing they're hard to come by did you see the blue milk in the opening scenes oh no i didn't so little Jin, who we meet uh you know, no Star Wars scroll at the beginning of the film, by the yeah, way. Yeah, I noticed. I was like, oh. <laughs> it was odd, yeah. <laughs> Threw me. Uh, her dad, you know, her dad and mum basically uh, hide her from Ben Mendelsohn's character, Krennic. And um, on the table, just as they're sort of evacuating, there's blue milk that's been poured. Which is, you know, another one of those little nostalgic nods. I don't know why she had a Stormtrooper doll, though. Yeah. Did you notice that? Yeah, like I they- noticed that as well. That seems strange, like she was a fan of the Empire. I mean, the other nostalgic stuff, they had, uh, she was on her way to a labor camp and they rescue her. And they had that same sort of, you know, I'm Luke Skywalker, I'm here to rescue you kind of feel without saying that sort of uh, iconic dialogue. And as well, they had the whole shenanigans later where they have to get dressed up to infiltrate, you know, like in the same way Han and Luke had to dress as stormtroopers. There's a lot of kind of attempts here. Certainly, you must say there's attempts at nostalgia, Lloyd. Uh, but I think uh, one of the biggest mistakes they did was the CGI on the original characters. I know a lot of people will defend this heavily, but I'm not for CGIing an actor who has passed away, and they mm. did that for Peter Cushing. 
Um, I, I don't agree with that. I just I just think it, there's just a bit of bad taste there. And I understand that, like, the from a Star Wars point of view, a fan point of view, they're like, oh, no, it has consistency and everything like that. But I, I would rather them just cast a different actor playing the part and then we would have understood, okay, that's supposed to be, um, you know, Admiral such and such. <laughs> Tarkin, maybe? Tarkin, yeah. Look, Tarkin, just on his character, I thought it was really interesting that he decides to destroy that city at the end. That was awesome, yeah. Uh, just the f- Scarif it was. Uh, he knows Ben Mendelsohn's character, Krennic, is down there. And he's kind of eliminating his competition because he knows Krennic had that audience with Vader. He knows the two of them both want to be in charge of the Death Star. And he casually is like, destroys it, right? Destroys uh, the city. I wish there was a line, like a throwback or something that Krennic had said, like, well, that's too bad then, isn't it? Or something that he could have said in that moment to make us know that he was being sinister. Because I think something was lost. It was there in the eyes, but maybe they needed to spell it out a little more that he was doing something quite sinister. Did did you find him believable or was did you find it very distracting, the CGI? I kind of went with it. I, 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 hated it. I thought it was as bad as uh, Tron Legacy. <laughs> <laughs> See, I haven't seen Tron Legacy. Uh, I did feel like this was supposed to be a very smart, sort of clever film. And everybody knows the story ahead of time. You know what you're getting when you're going into the film. And what I found interesting was they kind of spelt out right to the door of A New Hope. At the end of this movie, and we'll get to the Vader stuff, but they get the Death Star plans literally into... Leia's hands and they say what have they brought us and she says hope roll credits uh, they literally deliver to the moment you know we get exactly to where we need to be for episode 4 there's no room because it's like a week before leading up to episode 4 and I thought it wouldn't spell it out so much yeah no I would have exactly preferred what you're suggesting here for their, for those troops to get away and we just see Darth Vader hacking away in the distance and we see that shuttle fire off and we could just piece it together in our heads I'm shocked uh, we didn't see C-3PO and R2-D2 in the ship as well you know just just well, you might as well go the whole nine yards they may have been behind like we didn't notice we've okay. just watched it you know yeah. I, I didn't see either uh, all right, let's get on to Vader. Uh, first appearance of Vader, he's in the tank. And uh, Sonic was bothering me about him um, as well, Sonic about his uh, suit, and then I realised, oh, it's from episode four because he, he couldn't actually turn his head or anything and because episode four um, had budget constraints and then once they got to Empire, you know, Star Wars was obviously a massive, massive hit. They were able to refine the suit and everything like that. I was just, it took me a while to get there. Yeah, no, it was kind of the neck, wasn't it? Yeah. It kind of had no neck. That's exactly right. But it do, it's not consistent with episode three, I think, because in episode three, I think he had the refined suit. That's um, right. When he goes, no. <laughs> what a classic moment that was. <laughs> I, I blanked it out. <laughs> yeah. So Vader, obviously, we get him in the tank. We see him very slightly without his mask on. Then we get the one scene he has with Ben Mendelsohn's character, where he force chokes him and he says, uh, don't let, don't choke on your ambitions or something to that effect. Be careful not to choke on your aspirations. That's it. We get a couple of shots of him on the bridge, you know, like prepare a a party, things like that. But about eight minutes of screen time. And uh, how did you find that final sequence where he's mowing down (laughs) the rebels? It was a bit over the top. Um, I wanted to be cheering. uh, But at that point, I was really disappointed in the movie. 
but I, I probably would have preferred if they just backed off a little bit. Maybe if we just, uh, like, we see him slashing away, defending all the lightsabers, attacking him, maybe hack one or two guys, and then we just see the uh, the shot from the um, door, and then the guy handing him the card, take it. Rather, I, I just thought it was a bit too... Um, Melodramatic, over, maybe? Yeah, too melodramatic, too over the top. And I, But I know a lot of Star Wars fans would have been cheering at that moment. Yes, we finally see Darth Vader, you know. I, I actually would have preferred if if we'd seen Darth Vader at a ground level taking out all the Dirty the dirty Dozen team, uh, the um, Donnie Yen and everyone, just, just him down there and... Yeah, fighting an impact. Yeah, I, w- I would have preferred that. Like if a ship just sent down and goes, oh, we- we've sent Invader, and just one guy with a couple of red knights come in there and he just takes out all of them. Um, that's I would- kind of like the the gameplay on Battlefront, isn't yeah. it? Where- <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. That's kind of what I was alluding to. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm, I'm down with it. But no, then no, the- good pick up. The uh, the city gets destroyed, so Vader has to like run away. Yeah, run away or, or something like that. Yeah, get get away. But I I would have preferred that to have that little uh, compared to that little moment where he's just slashing away in the in in that little ship. Well, I did feel like lightsabers were missing. It didn't feel like Star Wars without lightsabers. Yeah, so that's a good point because you had the air battle. You had the the you know the some of the rebellion team versus um, uh, stormtroopers, but you didn't have a hand to hand battle scene. <laughs> That's right. Well, I mean, Obi-Wan wasn't going to turn up. He has to stay hidden and obviously trains Luke in episode four. And, you know, we don't have Alec Guinness anymore. Do you reckon it's cool how they powered up the power? Uh, we find what's pa- what powers lightsabers in the Death Star? The crystals. <laughs> she, uh, she has one of those crystals around her neck. I thought at some point maybe she was going to plug it in to a lightsaber or something. Um, I also kind of thought maybe Donnie Yen would have a lightsaber. I was thinking at some point somebody's going to pull a lightsaber and we're going to say, whoa, that person's a Jedi. Yeah. Even if they don't survive. Well, I think Donnie Yen's more powerful than any Jedi that's ever been presented. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't need a lightsaber, did he? No, he was, um, not at all. He was, I don't know, Daredevil-esque. When you have like a blind character who's just using sense, I, I felt like maybe we were going to have a scene where it started to rain and because it was raining, he could feel where everybody was based on the, <laughs> oh, the yeah, droplets. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's a great idea. <laughs> <laughs> At least that didn't happen. Well, I mean, Jin is reluctant, much like uh, Ray was, much like Luke was. You know, she doesn't initially want to join... The rebels and her father does die from the rebels as well, which is interesting. Yeah, and when you remember when you said Donnie Yen's character shoots down uh, one of the planes, it's lucky he didn't shoot down an X-wing <laughs> because they were all just flying around. I wish they just cut that. They didn't have that at all. Uh, well, I, I can't help you, man. <laughs> They've obviously cut a bunch out of this. For me, I didn't hate it because I kind of had that nostalgic feel, but I can't say that I loved it. Um, I kind of wanted more from Diego Luna's character, Andor. I kind of wanted him to either be more like Han Solo or, I don't know, uh, flip, maybe uh, defect. Uh, I wanted something of a character development from him. He was just helpful the whole time and he didn't assassinate uh, her father, which I I didn't particularly feel anything then, like, oh, what a nice guy, you know. (laughs) Uh, I did uh, keep on waiting to see Han Solo in this because I assumed that the casting of young Han Solo was because they needed him to appear in this film in a cameo. But that never happened. When you get young Han Han Solo, you also get Chewbacca. Uh, Maybe you get uh, young Lando as well, who's also been cast, uh, Donald Glover. So I kept waiting for that appearance, 
which never came. Obviously, because this is only days before uh, she gets the plans, I didn't realise it was so close to uh, the events of A New Hope, uh, we would need Harrison Ford. We wouldn't get young Han Solo out of this. Um, so he was never going to appear. You know, he's been cast, and that's the next kind of prequel film we will get. Oh, I'm, I'm really rattled, uh, Dave. Uh, I'm, <laughs> I'm very scared of where they're going to take Star Wars now. Like, I thought episode one, two, and three, there was no recovery from that, but, you know, it kind of has an authority to it because George Lucas, the original author of four, five, and six, did it, so you can kind of give it a pass, kind of. Um, episode seven I liked, although I hated how much... It, it's not great, as you say, because it, it retreads so much of episode four and it, it, it's, it plays it so safe a lot of the times. But I had a really fun time watching it at the, uh, at the cinema. This I found so frustrating. Um, so I'm, very, I'm just really worried where they're going to go with uh, Star Wars. At, at this moment, though, it does look incredible. Like Star Wars, it matches the modern... The, the, the modern mechanics of CGI and everything with the old practical special effects, and it looks amazing for it. Let me throw some uh, some things at you. Did the jungle planet of Badu remind you of the Ewoks too much? Yeah. In what way? Just in, in the sense of the environment? Yeah, the environment. The sort yeah, of, they, they like... were wearing that com- the similar commando gear. Um, the rebellions, uh, the the rebellion soldiers were wearing very similar commander gear to what they were wearing in um, episode six. Uh, did the bot K two S O, which isn't very catchy, unfortunately, K two S O. I was like, eh, they can't all be R two D twos, but K two S O. Did K two S O saying the odds over and over again, but nobody saying, "Never tell me the odds," annoy you? <laughs> did. Uh, Sending and receiving messages while they were in light speed annoy you. <laughs> um, what did you think of seeing Leia at the end? You know, obviously that actress, Carrie Fisher, is still alive, uh, but they've used kind of the, the magic of cinema here. It was so distracting. I, I, I don't think that that CGI is there yet. And uh, I was just looking at the face. Oh, well, young Carrie Fisher, the moment she talks, the moment her eyes move, you realize, well, that's not a human being. There's this sonic off there, and it's so distracting. They did say hope a lot in the dialogue. Uh, that felt a little overused. Uh, when K2SO says, I'll be there for you, it's hard not to associate that with friends. <laughs> Even if though he says, you know, uh, Captain said I had to, Cassian said I have to. <laughs> so, you know, it's played for comedy, and he gets all the best lines, all the biggest laughs. You've got to be proud of Ben Mendelsohn, Australian actor, you know, playing the villain in Star Wars. Yeah, no, I, I thought he did a very solid job. I, again, I, I don't think enough was developed there um, at all. He just seemed like a really bad guy that had a lot of ambition. I, I probably would have just preferred some more humanity to him. Why is he on the Empire? I, I know they're not going to do that, but um, I, I really like Ben Mendelsohn as an actor. Did you hear the stormtroopers having a chat, like uh, the candid bit of dialogue they were doing while they were walking around before they got knocked down? And that was at the very beginning. They, they just seemed... Uh, I like that route rather than them being clones. Um, they, they seem more human. Uh, like like just average average guys there, and I thought uh, just from that opening, oh maybe maybe they might do something interesting with the stormtroopers, but uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> there was a bit where one stormtrooper says to the other, uh, "Did you hear the the two fifteens are being made obsolete?" And the other one goes, "Yeah yeah, about time." 
What's a 215, Lloyd? Uh, I've, I've got no idea. All right, great. People, leave it in the comments for us because I don't know. And it's might be because it's 3.40 in the morning. It, it might be, but I, I, I cannot recall. I was so disappointed with how they took out those AT-80s or AT-HATs yep. um, on the ground. They took them out with the X-Wings too easily. I just remember from uh, Empire Strikes Back, those things were very, very difficult to take down. They had to resort to, um, you know, cable cables tying around their legs just to trip them down and the, maybe the, they just didn't have the technology to take them down like the right guns and stuff yeah that, that that's a very valid point as well yeah um maybe so the the rebel alliance was probably very um inadequately prepared for a full on all all out assault um in the battle of hoth for sure um and i liked a lot some of those pilots that were obviously from episode four um, using the same technology, obviously, to recreate uh, Peter Cushing. Um, we see some of those pilots. I don't think I saw Wedge, though. No, I can't say I did. Yeah, he, he's like my favourite, <laughs> you know, from uh, from 4 and 6. Look, the Red Squadron, Blue Squadron in the X-Wings was fantastically nostalgic. Uh, destroying that shield gate and stuff by pushing, like, one Star Destroyer into another into the shield gate... I th- that was something we haven't seen before. Well, another thing we haven't seen before was when the Alliance, uh, when the Rebels go into light speed and then the Empire just crashes right there to disrupt them and you see a lot of them crash into their into yeah, the Star appearing out of, uh, Yeah, Yeah, I've never seen that before. I was like, wow, geez, that's very aggressive. You know, I think trying to give us new angles on stuff in Star Wars is what this had to do. If this was just retreading similar uh, fodder that we'd seen before, people would definitely hate it. I think we're going to see really mixed reviews. Like, I've just come out of this going, that was pretty good. And you're coming out of it going, I think I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> what was it? Well, I'm curious, what was your crowd's reaction? Like, mine was pretty mute. They were laughing pretty much at everything the robot said. Correct. Um, and that's about it. No one was cheering, going, yeah, like... Um, Episode 7, my crowd loved it. They laughed at every joke. They were clapping when the Millennium Falcon was um, shown for the first time. People were going, woo, (laughs) you know what I mean? They had a really fun time. I I guess that whole big weight of um, seeing Harrison Ford and all that, now all that's over, the veil's been lifted. Okay, let's see what else you got, you know, and the second punch just didn't deliver for my audience, it feels like. I think the second punch is episode eight. Yeah, I think sure. this is padding. Um, I'm very confident episode eight is going to be pretty solid. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it's a weird 2016, just, just so many disappointments. We Jason Bourne. <laughs> sorry to get on this again. Jason Bourne. Suicide Squad. Suicide Squad. Was Batman vs Superman this year? It was. It March. was this year. I was, um, I was talking to someone about how bad 2016 had been for films. And uh, I was saying that one of my favourite films of the year was The Lobster and another was Deadpool. And um, I really had to go back and sort of check what we'd reviewed and, like, what I'd watched. And now Deadpool's been nominated for all these Golden Globes, proving it was one of the best films of the year, Lloyd. Uh, another film that I was disappointed in, sorry, was Jack Reacher too. Oh, gosh, so disappointed. I was happy to have missed that. <laughs> this whole Rogue One thing, I mean, it doesn't have... Now the fingerprints of George Lucas aren't on these things. Lucasfilm still exists and obviously is still producing. But I feel like everything has now got to go as far wide of his work as possible to expand the universe. Everything has to set up 10 more things like, um, you know, books and uh, animated series and spin-off comics and 
filling in more and more blanks until we have every aspect of every story forever. I, I just hope they get away from the whole Skywalker family. Like almost every story has to have something about Skywalker in it. The universe just seems big enough now they can do a story on Ewoks and be the worst <laughs> probably movie in the whole franchise. But you know what I mean? Like they could they could do something other outside of that that family trouble. Well, they could do a, a Wookiee movie and make it best foreign language film if the whole thing is in Wookiee. <laughs> Should we speculate about episode eight? I mean, we don't know anything from this film that helps us, but you think Ray is a Skywalker? Is that I think too so, close? yeah. Yeah, no, I, th- I think so. A lot of people think, you know, she could be Obi-Wan's kid, which is the other angle. I mean, I would like to see that she's somebody completely different. Like you say, move away from Skywalker. I mean, we've already got one Skywalker technically with Ben Solo, who, you know, Kylo Ren. He's still related. Leia's his mother. We don't need for Luke to have a child as well, even if he does in comics and spin-offs and whatever. I just feel like, um, like you say, we've treaded that path. The Skywalkers, we've covered it. It'd be fantastic if we introduced something that then spins off into nine more movies, you know? I'd love to see a brand new Star Wars film with brand new characters and nothing, knowing nothing going in. I did try my best to avoid the trailers for this one, uh, for Rogue One. Uh, We watched the teaser and we did do a video review of it on our YouTube channel way back when. And one of the first things I said was, you know, Donnie Yen, it looks like he's blind. (laughs) (laughs) And you were spot on. Spot on, yeah. Uh, And I mean, we don't really know from the teaser. He like walks out with a stick at one point looking like he's going to engage stormtroopers. And it was from the sort of cast photo when you can sort of zoom in on his face and he's got white eyes that, you know, I think you referred to as walkers or something from um, Walking Dead. Yeah. And these little things, obviously, we we had some success. We've been right about a few things, which is fantastic. It's great fun to speculate and be right. But I'd love to watch a film not knowing a thing. Yeah, that that's I completely agree. That's my favourite way how to go into a movie. And, I mean, I, I watched so little of Rogue One that seeing Jimmy Smith's was a surprise seeing C-3PO and R2-D2, which I suspected would happen. That was a surprise. I didn't want it to kind of walk all the way up to the door of episode four. And when that was happening, I was like, oh yeah, okay, that's where this is going. I didn't think we were so close in the timeline. Um, I thought we had room between, say, Rogue One and another film between episode four. That's why I really thought we were going to see Han Solo. Yeah, so I guess at the end of the day... um, And they wouldn't have CGI'd his face, though. Han Solo's? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, they've cast a young Han Solo, and I guess that's why we thought he would be in this film. So, but but do you think if Han Solo was in this film, do you think they'd CGI his face as well? They would have had to because he had to look like Harrison Ford because of the timeline, because we see, like, Leia. But in the spin-off movie with younger Harrison Ford, they're not going to do that strategy? No, of course not. Well, they really shouldn't. Yeah, they really shouldn't. (laughs) I mean, I don't think they will. I felt like I watched it in 3D, Lloyd. We should say. You watched it in 2D? Yeah, I watched it in 2D, yep. So the 3D version of this film, I'll tell you what was added. The firefights, the uh, X-Wing stuff, that all had another nice depth to it. Um, When the X-Wings are flying around, that whole shield, uh, everything was slightly improved. And the explosions on the planet when the Death Star um, fired its its massive shot, did that look amazing? Somewhat, somewhat. um, Not as noticeable. Uh, The main things I could tell you were... When she looks through those binoculars, when they look through any kind of, you know, telescope or whatever, 
the images are all sort of enhanced because the text is on screen at the same time. And so they both had that nice depth to it. I kind of wish I didn't see it in 3D. Really? To be honest. Yeah, I'm, I'm so over 3D. <laughs> oh, well, I had um, a really good experience with Doctor Strange. So um, if, if movies like that come out that really utilise 3D, then, yeah, I'm all for it. But, yeah, I, I get what you mean. Talking about the end of this film for a second, I felt like there were maybe too many obstacles at the end. Oh, yeah, especially when she finally gets the plans. It's like, oh, you got to rejig the satellites. Like, oh, give me a break. Yeah, and she had to jump through that one bit that had a door that was opening and closing over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> um, but there was a bit where they had to kind of use a skill tester arms to get the plans <laughs> and then climb to the top and then, like, reset antenna alignment. <laughs> I yeah, was like, ah, oh, come on, That's from these terrible script writing um, books that tell you, oh, you have to have a problem each of the way. And Gravity, uh, that movie is packed full of those moments. Every little moment you have to have an obstacle um, in it, and I, I just think it's just so overly workshop, so overly um, uh, structured. You know, the the story itself doesn't have any room to breathe. It constantly has to go. Oh, no, no, no! It's ten minutes into the film. You have to have this point. You know, and it, it, I, I don't think it's a a good way to 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 go about writing a screenplay at all. Uh, but unfortunately, a lot of Hollywood. Uh, pr- producers really employ that three-act structure and you've got to have those beats all throughout it. There was a lot of obstacles at the end there. Uh, and, I mean, the runtime of two hours, 15 minutes, you know, could have come down a little. Oh, absolutely. I completely agree. And what what about that... Um, uh, when the guy has to hook up the cable, you know, and his cable's too short and yeah. he just makes it. He's just, oh, so frustrating. Come on. <laughs> yeah, okay. You're starting to turn me a little on this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I really had to suspend belief and stuff with, uh, with the blind character and um, it felt a bit uh, wedged in there, like, oh, what if he was blind, you know? For me, the main problems of this were uh, kind of around his contributions and uh when he was shooting and dodging and he's faster than a bullet at one at one point he's able to just you know hear them shoot and move his head accordingly and i don't know 200 million dollars they're gonna obviously make that back but that whole that whole set piece was just so badly done you had that the um a small group of the empire uh, well i guess they had a tank there so it's not so small but they're trying to get the crystals out and then the, uh, they get ambushed by those uh, locals who are after those crystals and then the next time we see them a whole bunch of stormtroopers are there taking them prisoners and then they fight two people the blind guy and his uh friend and they all all those stormtroopers get gunned down and then and more stormtroopers come it just felt like a, almost theatrical like a stage play oh, by the way, guys, here are all their skill sets. You know, we're just going to suspend belief, suspend the story here. Um, what's going to take um, first center stage is just how good these guys are, just so you can like them, you know, and it's really pushing us to buy their figurines as well. Do you think um, the next film, I mean, Han Solo's male, uh, do you think we'll see more sort of lead female characters in Star Wars? Or yeah, do you think- yeah, I, I think... Um, 
just with how uh, how much money's invested in in these movies they workshop him and focus group him so much okay the woman has to be more empowered we got to have an african american character here the chinese markets are very big so we got to push more asian characters in can we add some kung fu cuz asians like kung fu it just feels a, like a lot of that with major hollywood productions it's so so skeptical aren't we <laughs> i know uh, that, that, like if you go back and listen to episode 7 yeah we had heaps of issues with that but we talk we were so enthusiastic about that movie because we really enjoyed it and rogue one i guess it's mainly me bringing this down i was just so disappointed <laughs> in this movie well i mean what can we do we can hope if you will that the next one is better i think episode 8 obviously is what we're really waiting for and in a way they're very smart to sp- spread them out year by year giving us this one is like we're all gonna consume rogue one aren't we We're all going to watch it because we'll have to wait another 12 months for the next Star Wars. So if they give us one film a year, if we get episode eight next Christmas and then we get Han Solo the year after, (laughs) what are we up to 2020 or something when um, we're getting episode nine and the conclusion to the trilogy? And by then, that's years away, you know, they've, um, they've obviously got room to grow this whole universe. So I just hope it ends because... Like with uh, Marvel movies, we don't see it really end. It's building to a climactic showdown. You arguably got Thanos, but I have this awful feeling after Thanos, we're just going to get all these other branch-off stories. At least with, and I have issues with Lord of the Rings and, and, and everything like that, but at least that ended. Um, uh, you got Harry Potter. Yeah, there's seven of them, but it all builds up to a climactic moment. I just Star Wars as well um, builds up to Episode Six, which feels like a finale. You know, it feels like wow, what a great journey that was. I have this sick feeling that they're just going to squeeze out all these storylines until the franchise just is completely dead. The last trilogy that we got that was really complete and felt like at the end, wow, that was really good, was the Dark Knight trilogy by Christopher Mm -hmm. Nolan. I just have this awful feeling we're not going to get that anymore. When an intellectual property like Star Wars exists, you know, you've got Happy Meal toys, you've got books, comics, toys in general, like... um, there's a market and they're making billions and why would Disney turn that off? And now that Disney has uh, Star Wars, you know, as well as all of Marvel, you know, Spider-Man's Homecoming is going to be a Marvel production as well, or co-production. They've got so many huge financial uh, pluses. Why would they turn off those taps? That's a good point. Did you watch the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer? It looked fantastic. It did, didn't it? I mean... The, the fact that Iron Man's going to suit up in that film and not just probably bang Aunt May <laughs> is, is great for the, for the franchise. And it looks like it ha- Marvel might actually have a decent villain with uh, the great Michael uh, Keaton playing uh, the Vulture. Yeah. Well, I mean, as long as we get some fresh story and, and as well him in high school again, you know, you're rebooting in a better way. Uh, They did well to introduce him in Civil War, which is actually this year as well. So we are trashing 2016, but that was okay. Yeah, no, Civil War was great. Another movie we were both very disappointed in was X-Men Apocalypse. Ah, yes. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) I couldn't be more disappointed in X-Men Apocalypse. (laughs) You know, Time Magazine gave that the worst film of the year. Wow. It's not the worst film of the year. I'm sure there's worse. Yeah, absolutely. Like, it was disappointing, but it wasn't worst. Look, uh, following this, Lloyd, I thought we would tackle a film that has been nominated for the most Golden Globe Awards. 
Originally, I wanted to watch Passengers next, but uh, also out on Boxing Day in Australia, La La Land, which has Ryan Gosling and Emma Stone. What do you think about that? The musical? The musical. I am terrible at musicals. I don't know much <laughs> about them, so I wouldn't mind giving it a go. Well, this will be the first musical I think we've watched since Rock of Ages. It seems to be the film that's going to dominate the Academy Awards, and uh, I'd like to cover it off on, on the podcast It looks as like well. an Oscar bait film, Dave. It does, doesn't yeah, it? It's just, I mean, it's just there for the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Chicago was sort of the same that, thing. I was going to bring that up, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, so it's been enough time that people have forgotten the Chicago Oscar bait scandal. <laughs> um, as well, I mean, I'd like to cover Passengers at some point. Uh, Hacksaw Ridge feels like something we should get onto. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know how many of these are going to come in December. Certainly, I think La La Land will be the final uh, Pod Me If You Can of 2016. When we can finally wrap up a year when so many celebrities have died and the world has changed so much. <laughs> and the films have been disappointing us. <laughs> yeah, we should kick off 2017, hopefully, well, with hope. Uh, here we go, back to hope. <laughs> back to Star Don't Wars. Don't we have um, Assassin's Creed coming out? Uh, at some point, yeah. That'll probably be the last of our video game. Like We've gone through all the video game movies, adaptations, and Warcraft was this year as well, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. yeah. No, I, was, uh, I, I was so confident that would change the perspective of video game adaptations, and I was completely wrong. Uh, I was not looking forward to that at all. <laughs> uh, I had very negative feelings about Warcraft. <laughs> and and your um, Assassin's Creed uh, was the one that you think might turn it around. Well, right? I think that'll certainly be better, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I did see a preview for Ghost in the Shell, and I know that's not just a video game. I know it was that's anime. Yeah, that's an anime. Anime as yeah. well. Um, but, I mean, that looks pretty spot on. Like, they've made a good adaptation there as well. Look, I think 2016 has been a major disappointment uh, in terms of film, and we've covered off a lot of our disappointments on this podcast. So if people want to listen back, you can retrospectively check out 2016 at podmeifyoucan.com we've also covered a lot of obscure films lloyd uh do you want to tell us about the youtube channel oh yeah we got a youtube channel uh that where we um discover really terrible movies but with famous stars so uh ray liotta tom hanks i think we've done um a couple of have we done any tom cruise movies i gotta do i gotta find a tom cruise movie to cover <laughs> i think you do i've done a tom hanks i did a yeah, tom film hanks, called yeah. the man with one red shoe and if, <laughs> if you haven't heard of that it's it's exactly as good as it sounds and these are terrible movies are some of the, some of them are gems some of them are absolutely amazing but a lot of these are really hard to watch movies that you find uh t- buried in 10 packs of movies in dvds at the bargain bin or in service stations um in in thrift stores and so forth and we watch them we review them in within like five ten minutes on our youtube channel just go there and check it out it's really interesting some of the movies we um review i mean the aim of the game is if you find a film there and you think i've never heard of that that's what we were going for these are obscure films these are films at the start or the end of actors careers that didn't get a main sort of uh, cinema release uh, straight to dvd straight to video there's a film there called mazes and monsters with tom hanks as well uh, super old, super obscure. It's like Dungeons and Dragons, but mazes and monsters. So. I, li- I like some of the creature designs in that. Yeah, it was neat. And obviously uh, has a very interesting ending, which I think I talk about uh, on that episode as well. Uh, Rogue One, a Star Wars story. I wonder if they'll call the next one Han Solo, a Star Wars story. <laughs> 
young Han Solo, like young Indiana Jones. I wonder if there'll be lightsabers in that. Uh, probably not. It'll probably feel like this one. Because if it takes place before episode four, all the Jedi are dead or in hiding, like Obi-Wan, so you shouldn't see lightsabers, I guess. Yeah, well, uh, Han Solo's one of his famous lines is, I've been all around the galaxy and I, I can't believe uh, this all-guiding force is there. Nothing beats a blaster by his side. So I think um, in his world, if we're in Harrison Ford's world, it'll be really wrong to have lightsabers and Siths and Jedis in there. I think they should ignore the force and just have it focused on his, you know, in on his perspective. Yeah, well, I mean... Uh- if Lando's in it and he's been cast, so Lando Calrissian is in it as well, I feel like it'll be a lot of smuggling and hijinks. You're going to see a lot of um, uh, who's got the ship and, you know, passing back and forth and games of chance and betting. I feel like it'll be it'll be fun if it has a sense of humour. It, it um, could really hurt the franchise as well, Dave. Yeah, well, it could. I mean, people love the love story of Leia and Han, and this is going to probably introduce new love interests for Han pre-Leia. So, you know, people are going to go, oh, whoa, that's cool. I really like this person with Han. And it's going to dilute what we already know. This might have been more fun. And I mean, we'll obviously get to Han Solo when we get to Han Solo. But I feel like maybe it'd be more fun if it wasn't a character we knew. Introduce uh, a brand new smuggler. I've got to be positive. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I, I'm sorry to bring everyone down with this podcast. <laughs> oh, it's fine. I, I, I've been brought down a little bit by your comments, and I do feel like the character development wasn't all there. You're right. I, I can't see myself watching Rogue One again soon. Uh, and Episode 7 had that feeling like, I've got to watch that again. I want to watch it again, you know, as soon as I can. Uh, I feel like Rogue One, I'm like, yep, I get what that was. I get the gist of it. You know, I, I don't need to rush to see it again. Um, that can that can wait. I, I felt the same way about Lord of the Rings. After I finished Lord of the Rings, I was like, yep, I can wait a good, you know, seven to ten years before I need to sort of put that back on. Wow. Yeah, and um, I've been fine with it. <laughs> so Rogue One, I mean, uh, not forgettable, but uh, adequate. Yeah, let's, no, compared let's call to, it B+. Compared to a lot of, yeah, compared to a lot of action movies, if, if that's going to be your scale, um, yeah, it's, you know, it's pretty good. It delivers. Um, but because uh, <laughs> I talked up Suicide Squad so much only because I watched, um, I haven't watched it again since, but because of Ghostbusters and Independence Day, coming uh, Independence Day 2 after watching those movies Suicide Squad seemed like a masterpiece (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted more from Gareth Edwards and I'm so disappointed in it he he hasn't delivered and he hasn't matured into the director I wanted him to be so so a lot of the blame of my negativity is of course me what I'm what I'm bringing into the cinema you were very very positive on him and obviously you love monsters and um maybe to a lesser extent um Godzilla. Godzilla yeah well, uh, he's not down to direct anything else on IMDb. So there's a real wait and see what Rogue One is like. Um, I'm sure he'll walk into something else. Don't worry. Oh, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> he'll, he'll definitely work again. <laughs> All right, guys. Well, thanks for listening to Podme. If you can, uh, tune in next time. Uh, Boxing Day for La La Land and uh, the final Podme, if you can, of 2016. Hit it. Ooh. for listening. Please like us on Facebook and 
follow us on Twitter. Go to www.podmeifyoucan.com. Pod Me If You Can. Movie Reviews.